Welcome to Let's Talk Sales, the podcast that's all things sales and business development. This podcast series is for CEOs that are looking to build strong companies, sales VPs, and sales managers that want to take things to the next level, and of course, for salespeople that are looking to improve. This podcast is brought to you by Calavia, the sales playbook platform made for your team by your team. The Calavia Sales Playbook houses your company's best practices, templates, and processes. And it also functions as an online sales training academy for your existing sales team and for any new hires that come on board. You can learn more about Calavia at calavia.com, and that's spelled C-O-L-L-A-V-I-A.com. Today's podcast is part of our Q&A series, where we respond to questions from you, our audience. We love this segment because we really get to address the challenges that you, our audience, is facing. We literally live to add value. That's what we love to do, and we we want to help others in the sales community on their gro- sales growth journey. That's really what it's all about for us. So thank you to our audience for listening, for sharing your challenges and concerns, and for allowing us to do this today. We're really excited to get into some questions and Hopefully we can help solve some challenges today too. This is Rebecca Toomey, and today I am with our CEO, let's see, I almost said our CEO criteria for success, our CEO Charles Bernard. Mr. Criteria for success to you, it's Charles. That's right, Mr. Criteria for success. (laughs) It's a pleasure to be here, Rebecca. (laughs) Well, we've got a really big topic. You know, it's on sales management, our Q&A today. And I'm sure that there are tons of sales leaders out there that are just, you know, you guys are just sitting there waiting in your car, on a train, wherever you are listening to this podcast, waiting for your problems to be solved. (laughs) For the tip of the month. (laughs) For your tips. And uh, yeah, so we have some good stuff. I hope it's your good stuff. But let's get into it, Charles. We're going to move into some questions and comments that we've got, gotten and received and I just really, you know, this is a big topic. We've been talking about it all month. We did a Q and not a Q and A. This is the Q and A. We did an, a roundtable on this episode. We yep. also talked about um, during this series. We also talked to you about your ebook, which was on sales management. Yep. And so now here we are solving the rest of the uh, challenges and problems, and hopefully they don't overlap too much with what we've already talked about. I don't think that they do. So let's just start with an area that I think managers struggle with quite a bit and it's right at the intersection of managing and coaching there's there's a little intersection there so our first question is how can i coach my team better and better yet where do i start what makes a coach a coach and how can i help my sales team instead of nagging them <laughs> well i think a lot of the answer is actually a reflection of the question so it's a good question and i think the answer is don't nag that's part of the question how do I stop nagging them and um, what makes a coach a coach so I think there's a philosophy answer and a checklist answer so I'll give you the philosophy first I think like a coach of anything sports team uh, employees your kids it could be anything um, that it could be a situation that applies to anything I think the first philosophy is let others step up and do as much of the heavy lifting as possible and i know that may sound obvious but there are a lot of managers who want to be the subject matter expert and know the answer first and then expect their people the people that work for them to follow 
the answer that they've discovered or to follow the script that they've created. And I think that's a mistake. I think coaching is really putting the responsibility and even the accountability on the other person and letting them stumble a little bit, letting them, within certain guidelines obviously, but letting them discover uh, what it is that they need to reach in for themselves to get a job done effectively, to improve their performance, etc., etc. So that's the philosophy. So you don't have to come up with the answers. Others come up with the answers mm-hmm. and do the heavy lifting. Yep. The mechanics, because a lot of people are going, great, thanks for sharing that. What do I do with it? <laughs> so I think y- I, I have a simple acronym, and it has eight letters, and it spells the term playback. P-L-A-Y-B-A-C-K. Uh, I love this acronym because it's one that we at CFS invented a number of years ago. We've put into practice. Many of our clients have put it into practice. And what it does from a checklist perspective is it kind of keeps you on track when you're having a coaching conversation or when you want to act as a coach, mm-hmm. which was the question. Mm-hmm. So do you want me to spell out what the yes, acronym is? Yes, spell it out. Let us know. <laughs> or or I, you know, we could always just revert to the ebook, but I think let, let's hear it. All right, so it's very simple. Playback. The first P stands for permission. You really got to get permission to coach. And it could be oh, simply, definitely. right? We do yeah. it here all the time. It could be simple, as simple as saying, are you open to some coaching? And you've got to say it in a way where people can actually decline and say, no, now's not a good time. You've mm-hmm. done that to me a number of times. <laughs> um, where I've said, hey, Rebecca, you open to some coaching? I'd like to give you some coaching. And I know you are. I just might be picking the wrong time. Yeah. Sometimes it's like if you're in the middle of something else, you know, you know what? Let's table this for later. Let's meet at three. Yeah. Or you're on a deadline. I mean, it just happens. Yeah. So I want to offer you some coaching on something I observed or something um, that I want you to change, perhaps. Yeah. So i got to pick up my moment. Right? Definitely. So getting permission. Definitely. I'm not going to be able to get anything done and it's not going to be effective if i don't have your permission well yeah i'd like to throw in the difference between the two so the the alternative is to go up to somebody and say (laughs) i don't like the way that you said that right and And, don't even ask yeah and that you don't ask for permission and you're immediately just saying something right the other how how well received is that going to be to the other person because usually when there's coaching it's because it's constructive criticism hopefully hopefully yeah, or I hear people go, I got some coaching for you, or can you meet in my office, or my favorite, do you have a couple of minutes, and it turns into half an hour. Yeah, yeah. So, permission, permission. is the first P. Love it. L stands for listen. It's maybe something that goes without saying, but I do think <laughs> we have to be aware that we got to listen more than we speak when we're coaching, so mm-hmm. just check yourself, see how much you're listening versus speaking. Pretend you're sitting with a prospect. Right. And the A, so P-L-A, ask them. Now, the A is really, when I say ask them, if they know what the coaching's about and they were involved in something and you know they have some thoughts about it, then I would apply that. If they don't know why you're coaching them, then I think you got to tell them and maybe you skip this step. But let's say we've gone out on a sales call and I say, I use my acronym and I go, um, are you open to some coaching and you go sure and of course I'm listening the whole time and um, we know it's about the sales call so I'm gonna use my ask a and I'm gonna say so tell me what you think 
Now, what I've discovered is people are harder on themselves than you ever could be. So they'll say, it was terrible, it was horrible, whatever, mm -hmm. and build it into something a little, maybe bigger than you expect it to be. And you just want to frame it, which is the why. So PLA is um, the first three letters. Y is the fourth letter. Y stands for your outcome, meaning once I've heard what their thoughts are, I can just simplify it, put a kind of box around it, keep it simple. I don't want to take a ton of time. I want to make sure that what I say is listened to. So I want to kind of give it in bite-sized chunks. And I'll say something like, okay, I hear your thoughts about you thought you messed up and it was a terrible call, mm -hmm. but really my outcome is one thing. I want you to focus next time on getting to the next step because mm -hmm. that's the one thing that I, I observed was was missing you open to some coaching about that so maybe I'll repeat it mm -hmm. and so that's my outcome and that's kind of the B so we used to say back to them and that's in my ebook but Elizabeth who I ran this by recently said you know back to them sounds a little awkward I've got a better word for or a better phrase and that is get their buy-in so mm -hmm. I like that it's the same thing but B stands for buy-in. Get their buy-in. Okay, next step. I get it. So if you're both on the same page and you both understand why this conversation is taking place, then there's a better chance it's going to be effective if someone buys in. Okay. Uh, meaning the coachee. Mm -hmm. um, the next letter is A. Ask questions. Ask clarifying questions. Someone's going to say something you don't quite understand. You're going to ask for some clarification. An example. Uh, so I thought they thought I was a little pushy. Okay. So that's what they thought. And I got to think in my mind, what does that mean? Like, can you clarify pushy? I sort of think I know what it means. I'm not sure. So that's an opportunity to clarify pushy. Yeah. I kept asking a lot of questions. I didn't do a lot of listening. Ah, okay. Now I understand what they mean. See, mm -hmm. now this is where coaching happens. And if you think about it in all the talking that we've done so far, all I've done is set up the groundwork for a good coaching conversation. Mm -hmm. So this is where, in my example, where we were on the sales call and I want the person to get some coaching about getting to the next step. I might give some very easy to comprehend, easy to implement coaching, such as, okay, so here's what I'm thinking, Rebecca. You know, you, first of all, didn't ask for the next step clearly i know you kind of took a crack at it at the end of the meeting mm -hmm. but what i want you to do moving forward is i want you to ask for the next step early in the meeting even right up front after you've done some initial bonding and set goals and context for the meeting and the reason for that is because people are more likely to pay attention at the beginning of a meeting you've got their attention and they're likely to be more cooperative than at the end of a meeting when they're thinking about the next event and they're going away. So that's my advice. That would be where I would kind of give my quote-unquote coaching. And then the K, the last letter in the acronym is key takeaways. I see a lot of coaching conversations where people talk, they coach, give each other feedback, and they're done. And I'm thinking to myself, well, how do I implement what I've coach the person on or how do they implement what I coach them on mm -hmm. so key takeaways might be some agreements we make key takeaways might be did that help key takeaways might be an opportunity to give each other feedback okay this is awesome awesome acronym awesome tool if you're listening and you're interested in reading more about this and reading about it in detail so you can follow the steps through this process you can find a link to Charles's ebook on sales management in the show notes at criteria for success.com 
slash pod nine five. So check that out. Now, Charles, I want to go back to what you said earlier about coaching isn't necessarily just about the manager. Salespeople can coach each other too, right? And they can use this playback model with each other and take a lot of the load off of the manager. Not only that, a salesperson can coach a sales manager. It's a two-way street. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. Okay. Now, of course, a lot of sales managers, we know managers have a ton on their plate. There's Mm. a lot of stuff going on, a lot of, you know, balls in the air, things to juggle, all the phrases that (laughs) you (laughs) insert phrase here. They're managing a team. They might even be selling too. So Charles, a member of our audience was wondering, how can I best manage my time? What should my day look like, my week, month, quarter? How can a sales manager set up their lifestyle, I guess, is what this person is asking, to best fit their position? I'm going to respond, Rebecca, by giving, again, a philosophy that applies to the sales manager and everyone on the sales team. So the sales manager should practice what he or she is preaching, Mm -hmm. and that is to set goals at the beginning of the month, at the beginning of the week. Okay. Make sure the goals are not tasks, that they're outcomes, because outcomes drive tasks. Mm -hmm. And then whatever tasks are required to accomplish the goals get scheduled in the calendar. And the calendar should be time-blocked, something I know you're very passionate (laughs) about. (laughs) Virtually every podcast we hear you talk about it, which I think is great. We'll throw the time-blocking ebook in the show notes as well. We have a a resource on that, how to manage your time. That will be at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod95. (laughs) So I think that will go a long way to answering this question. Yes, definitely. If you set goals and you link them to your calendar, two things get accomplished, I feel. One, you have clarity on are your goals realistic, meaning do you have the time Mm -hmm. to get them done? And two, you get clarity on when you're going to get them done. So I think that's a first start and in terms of managing time, I think that's really the best thing I can I can uh, suggest. Definitely. I think that's a smart way to do it because you have to start with your goals. Uh, you know, as a manager, you're going to be figuring out financially where do you, does your team need to be first at the beginning of the year. As you're going into 2019, you're going to be planning what are your revenue goals for next year. So start there and then you're going to be what? Breaking that down by quarter, sales rep, by, by sales quarter. Rep, by quarter, by month. What you're going to need to do so you start start with the larger number and then work your way down and what you're going to find when you take your quarterly goals and then you break them up by month and then you break them up in your calendar by days during the week that's where you're going to find do i have enough time to accomplish these things and maybe i was over ambitious and saying i was going to do these things i don't know how that's physically going maybe to I be need possible help. maybe i need to delegate sure what exactly there's going to be something in there so the closer and the more that you can pay attention to your time i would say the better and also auditing your time is, a, is another big one. I love that one. Yeah, going back and looking at your time and saying, because I, I can't even tell you how many times that I've scheduled a time block to do something and say a half an hour, an hour, and it takes twice as long. Yep. You've got to notate that so the next time you're going to do that activity or task, you know, all right, I need to give myself the right amount of pro- time to do this. All right, now... I want to get into a really common challenge that came up quite a bit in a lot of the comments and questions that we received. We had talked about micromanagement quite a bit during our roundtable episode, which was pod 9-3 for anyone interested in taking a peek at that one. 
And then we also talked about it during our ebook interview, Charles, about your ebook, and that was episode 89. So again, show notes, uh, criteriaforsuccess.com forward slash pod 89. And now David, he wanted to know, how do I know when to step back? You know, he's a manager, he's managing this team, he, he feels like he's taught his team what he needs to know. When, do, when should he step back? When is the right time to just allow people to just do their thing? I love this question. So I'm going to answer by, if you've been listening to this podcast so far, the answers we gave to question number one and question number two actually perfectly set us up for the answer to this question. Okay. Meaning, if you've got people in a coaching mindset, if you're acting as a coach and you're effectively managing your time and you're not spread too thin, you're less anxious and I think a lot of micromanagement is driven by anxiety mm. and lack of trust, mm-hmm. meaning uh, y- you're seeing uh, the results you want to accomplish are not getting accomplished by your team. So you jump in and do your best to move the people along f- faster, uh, start cutting corners, giving people answers, getting yourself into a lot of trouble. Mm-hmm. I think the key is to really, in in terms of David's question, when, to know when to step back and, and when is the right time, is to have people around you who are thought leaders who can help you really deal with this whole notion about micromanagement. They'll give you feedback. They'll let you know if you are being a micromanager. So a mentor. A mentor, but a mentor doesn't have to be someone in a superior position. Okay. I think having a, like I said earlier when we were talking about coaching, people can who work for you, quote unquote, can give you feedback that you are being a micromanager <laughs> or that you do appear to be anxious or that you're not communicating the right way. Mm-hmm. So what am I saying? I think a lot of the response here, David, is um because i'm saying saying david i know he's not here but he asked (laughs) the question um i think the response is to really let others call you on your micromanagement-ness you know when you're doing it let people call you on it so Mm -hmm. you have to ask yourself what kind of a culture have you created where people are comfortable enough to point out that you're back to micromanagement um and i think the first thing is to be aware of it. So mm-hmm. sometimes you, me, we're not aware of it. We just do it. When someone points it out to us, we have the opportunity to reflect. Yeah. Uh, so that might be step number one. Step number two is really what we said earlier. I think having others, like you said, a mentor, mentors, thought leaders, people who you can delegate things to, who will pick up the slack or take care of things. You know, as we've grown as an organization, I'm not the center of everything. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed that you work with um, Ariana, who reports to you. Mm-hmm. And now we have a new hire who reports to Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. And we're going to hire another person after that who's probably going to report to you and or Ariana. So that frees me up from this whole micromanagement. I might still have anxiety <laughs> about running the business and hitting our numbers that we need, our, our growth goals. But I know that we've created enough of a culture here that you'll keep me in check. And then I have the option to either override you because I still think whatever I said is important to get done mm-hmm. or whether what I said was something that came out of anxiety or some 
knee-jerk micromanaging uh, circumstance. Yeah. I hope that helps. Yeah, yeah definitely. I, I, that really helps. And I think that a lot of people, you know, managers that are probably probably listening in run into this problem too where they don't know when it's the right time to step back and say, you know what, I've done my job here. And I think that uh, to add to what you said, Charles, if if you're a manager and you're using your sales playbook, you're having your sales team use a sales playbook, you're training them in it, you're walking them through how to prospect, how to target the right types of leads, you understand the buyer personas that you have, your sales process is well-defined, you know all the steps in the process, I mean, you shouldn't have to hover over people if you're giving them all the tools that they need, yeah, right? Yeah, the missing piece is just to let people or give the process and the person the time to fulfill what it is that they need to do. Yeah. And then if you've given them the right amount of time and the result hasn't gotten produced, you can objectively come back and question and talk about it. But yeah. I think the micromanagement comes into play when, like I said earlier, you're acting out of anxiety and you're not giving the process yeah. the time sure. or the person the time to get it done. Yep. There was really, yep. it's really a, a set of expectations that weren't set correctly from the get-go. Yeah, that can happen. So there you go. There's another tip. Set good <laughs> expectations. Totally. And now we've addressed this side of the coin. I want to pivot to the other side, and that is about keeping salespeople motivated and excited. Because obviously they can't be either of those things if they're micromanaged and hovered over, for one. And Charles, this is actually something that you encountered recently while mentoring someone. And I know you're going to have some good stuff to share on this topic. So how can sales managers keep their team motivated to sell? And more specifically, what about when everything is going wrong internally in the company? Let's say, you know, the product, there's a problem with the product or the delivery, something, something keeps going wrong after the salesperson closes sales, like how do you keep someone selling when they are losing confidence is basically my question. And how do you keep everybody happy? Right. Um, well, that is actually the question. Yeah. Well, the example you gave, I'm not gonna name names, but it's a client we're working with where they've um, gone through a downturn uh, due to a whole series of circumstances and the sales team is uh, demotivated people have left uh, the clients have given them a hard time things were promised and not delivered so there's a lot of situations that are outside of both you the sales manager in the situation and the salespeople mm -hmm. and one of the biggest problems that's happening in this organization is there's the blame game mm -hmm. like salespeople are what I call deflecting so rather than absorb the impact of negative criticism from the client, there is this um, desire to want to channel that to someone else, like deflect. Mm -hmm. um, and so a lot of the uh, delivery operations staff are getting the blame. And I think one of the things as a sales manager you can do is really step in the middle of that and mm -hmm. absorb some of that pain rather than have that directed in, in the wrong place. Because whether the salesperson's right or whether the salesperson's wrong about the operations folks or the delivery folks being the reason for quote unquote quote a screw up, mm -hmm. the sales manager, an, an observant, aware sales manager who has his or her finger on the pulse should really know when it's time to be that buffer. Yeah, And I think that 
buffer concept applies to a lot of situations, not only that between client and salesperson, but another place where I think the sales manager can be a buffer is between senior management and the salesperson. Mm -hmm. And that's also something I wrote about in the book, where people get demotivated because they feel you're not sticking up for them. Like if, uh, if you're the sales manager and you've got people above you who are screaming at you because the performance isn't there, the numbers aren't there, the results aren't there, and all you do is take that screaming and transfer it down the line, I think salespeople begin to view you as somebody who's not an ally, who is strictly looking to protect their job perhaps. I know I'm kind of getting off topic a little bit, but I do think this idea of having a buffer approach is really important. So make sure you're running interference, number one, for your yeah. salespeople. Yeah. Number two, in terms of mentoring and, mo- and motivating, I think it's really important, and we keep going back to this all the time, is to have a plan and have a process and follow it. And make sure that you believe in the process. If you believe in the process over time and you follow the process over time, you're going to accomplish a result. Assuming that the people that are um, demotivated are good performers, they can do the work, then it's obviously a circumstantial problem, Mm -hmm. not a person problem. Mm -hmm. And so I think a good sales manager has to develop the right plan, throw out the wrong plan, and keep it simple. Mm -hmm. You know, something that um, I actually said to this client is I found employees have a very high tolerance for pain and for things not working if they feel you have a plan, that you're working a plan, Mm -hmm. that you're sticking to the plan, and they look to you to make sure you're not all over the place. Providing you have a plan, I think eventually um, you'll regain that confidence. But but it takes time. Yeah, definitely. All right, so I want to throw some things in here. I I was taking down some notes, and I wanted to throw in here that if you find your team is seeming you know is not motivated or is losing motivation perhaps it might not have something to do with a problem internally but someone just seems unmotivated take a look at their disc behavioral (laughs) assessment and see what what motivates them right that's a huge thing that we do internally here we also offer for our clients so if it's something that you haven't done before or you're interested or whatever the case may be let me know because behavioral assessments really uncover a lot for sales objective. managers, they're, they're com- yeah, they're they completely don't objective. Politics. They don't have hidden agendas. Exactly. I so your it. salespeople will take this assessment, and you would get a report to, that tells you who is this person, what makes them tick, what makes them think, what motivates them, what demotivates them, and you might find in the process that perhaps it's the way that you're speaking. Maybe you're talking about the internal problem too negatively and that is really wearing on the salesperson and it's creating an environment where it's making it them unable to sell to go out and sell so that's one thing to understand is is that that priority and i also wanted to speak to this because i've been through this myself where i worked for uh, a company that went through some some struggles and some of the problems had nothing to do with us and we had to try to find new ways to get around it other times you know i worked in the construction industry and unfortunately in that industry it's very common to get people that will join the team that are going to work on jobs that just aren't the best human beings on the planet unfortunately it's just how that industry is because it it happened a lot yeah. where you would get a guy on a job and all of a sudden a bag of 
clothes would go missing. And you have a client calling you saying, these, these people were on site and now I have a bag of clothes missing. And that's something that you as the salesperson, you're, you've already you know, sold a deal, you're, you're, you stepped out of it, now it's on to the next part of it. But it's your job to handle that situation and scenario with professionalism and without saying, oh, no, you know, that that didn't happen. My guy didn't do that. You have to, you know, be on the side of your customer first and foremost and listen and understand and try to, you know, get a sense of what is going on. But as far as management goes, you know, it's obviously the manager's job to field these kind of problems. But sometimes you just can't. And so it's important to teach your sales team how to handle the very toughest situation that might come your way that they may not ever think about. They might might not think I'll ever come in contact to a situation like this where our company is in the wrong, you know, because of an employee. So it's just, you know, being aware of those types of things and you know being on being on your customer side first even if it means being against an employee well, you want to be on the customer's side first in hearing the the com- complaint the complaint yes. the concern yes i think the never get you, defensive right and you also want to be objective and get to the mm-hmm. facts and mm-hmm. get to the truth mm-hmm. it could be a mistake it could maybe, be maybe exactly it was the customer's employee who took the clothes yeah um and it was just easy to blame the salesperson or they really thought it was the salesperson. But or maybe it was a mistake and you didn't know. Maybe they thought it was a bag of trash and through, you know, you don't know things. what it's going to be, but you have to be sensitive. But I think we're back to being the buffer, right? Yep. So this, this maybe knee jerk desire to want to um, create an inquisition uh, and, or blame the employee. Mm-hmm. And like you said, take the customer side. You want to be objective. And you want to be calm, and you want to just work the problem, yeah. right? Work yep. the problem. Exactly. And and speaking of working the problem, it doesn't have to be this particular scenario. It could be any scenario. I think that a lot of the time when people are demoralized, dejected, unhappy, whatever it is that's going wrong, quote, unquote, I think that we got to be mindful of one thing that spreads like wildfire on a team and individually and that's head trash yeah for sure and you know head trash are all those sort of negative thoughts that most of the time aren't real we kind of embellish a lot and what i think a good sales manager does is manage their own head trash so Mm -hmm. like you said they Mm -hmm. don't jump to a lot of conclusions or they don't immediately rush to prejudging and second be careful when you're having conversations with employees who are not in a great place. Um, distinguish between what's their head trash and what's facts mm-hmm. and what's objective yeah. criticism or yeah. whatever it happens to be. Because a lot of the time I find it's very tempting to deal with people's head trash. And I found the best way to deal with head trash most of the time is to just let the person with the head trash figure it out for themselves. Yeah, yeah. That's a great answer. Now, our our last big question is a great one. Darren, he wants to know, how do I create alignment between sales and marketing? What is my role as the sales manager? And how can I keep the lines of communication open between departments? I love this question. And I've seen this in my own experience. And again, with the scenarios we get involved in with our clients, first thing, I think 
when you're dealing with sales and marketing where there is the possibility of friction and some people say healthy friction's okay i'm like not going to argue with that there's mm -hmm. a little bit of a internal competition perhaps between head of marketing and head of sales but the first thing is one is not superior to the other you're equal and i think that's important uh because if if marketing wants to assert uh, actually, we're more important or we're senior to you because we're earlier in the sales process, the sales cycle. We generate the leads. Without the leads, you're nothing. And then the sales manager says, actually, you're completely wrong because <laughs> we in sales are more important because we're the ones who actually work the deals, develop the relationships and close the deals. And then, of course, we're not talking about operations in here, but you could also have the head of operations uh, raised their hand and said, actually, we're more important because we deliver. Regardless, first thing, make sure you're on an even playing field. Second thing, I think, again, uh, much of the rivalry and the friction between um, sales and marketing, which is really this question of alignment, that was the original question, how do we create more alignment, comes down to a good process. Mm -hmm. I know that's an overused word, <laughs> but I want to just emphasize examples because I think people hear process and they go oh here we go with the process word he has no <laughs> idea what he's talking about he doesn't understand my world I do and I know I speak for Rebecca too but I want to give examples right so people understand what's into in a process one key part of what's in a process between marketing and sales is who's responsible for qualifying leads I'd say seven out of ten times marketing is responsible for generating leads or mm -hmm. at least a volume of leads through inbound marketing and depends on the company but yes yes depends yes. on the company you're dead on uh, and a lot of sales people a lot of companies don't have a marketing team yep. and the sales people generate the leads themselves yeah but if you're thinking about today's marketing i think a lot of it is lead generation where i see a lot of misalignment is when people aren't clear on who's qualifying the leads. Like, mm -hmm. does, does uh, marketing scrub the leads? Does marketing hand off qualified leads to the salesperson so they're not wasting time calling phone numbers that are incorrect or email addresses that are obviously wrong? So I think that part, and I'm not advocating one way or the other, but that part has to be cleared. Yeah. Is marketing doing the qualifying? Is sales doing the qualifying? How much is qualified by marketing? How much is qualified by sales? So that's one part. The other part, I think, to help create alignment is that marketing should be more involved in the day-to-day -day aspects of selling and vice versa. It could be something as simple as attending each other's meetings. Usually, if there's a marketing team, they will meet once a month, once a week, however often, I think is a good idea for the head of sales or uh, rotate your sales team through those meetings. So yep. they listen, they observe, they contribute and vice versa. And then the other part where I think there's a lot of misalignment um, and an opportunity to fix that is when developing content. You know, <laughs> I think marketing could use sales as input in what their clients are looking at, what their clients are looking for, mm -hmm. content their clients like. And quite often, um, I think, and I know this is going to get a lot of raised eyebrows, but I think a lot of salespeople could write blogs. 
you know, and actually help. Yep, and contribute. And contribute. Definitely. You know, this is actually such a big topic that we are putting together a master class for the head of sales and the head of marketing to do together. <laughs> Charles is dancing. He's I'm doing dancing. a happy dance right now. <laughs> because this is a huge and important thing is the alignment between sales and marketing and making sure that the work that marketing is doing is reflective to sales and working for sales. So we're actually working on that. Stay tuned for more on the masterclass. But thank you for sharing that answer, Charles. That was really cool and helpful. And I would love to round this out. Everyone knows that we're always talking about sales playbooks and about how to continue developing them. So Charles, do you have any tips for our listeners that they might include in their playbook about sales management since that is what we are solving for today? Sure. Um, what to put in your sales playbook? That <laughs> Everything. <helps>. Everything. <laughs> well, I think we have a process that we advocate and that is you have a sales team. If you have a sales team, create peer coaches people within the sales team people outside of the sales team what would you put in your sales playbook we have something called coaching journals which is something that helps coaches keep track of key points uh, that were discussed and key items that need to be addressed and a sales manager can look at those notes can look at the flags that coaches are raising and be aware of them without having to be in every single meeting so having thought leaders coaches people who have a section in the playbook to make notes about what's going on with um, the rest of the team with the people they're coaching um, or leading so the sales manager can um, effectively spread knowledge around more evenly that's one okay second and I think this is very understated and, and underutilized, and that is the power of forums. Mm -hmm. In your playbook, have forums. We've all seen them. So you go online, you have a technical support issue, like I this morning, I have a pair of headphones, and I want to figure out how to replace the earbuds that have worn out. And I go to uh, I go to Google, and I and I enter this query: How do I replace? Um, my earbuds on this particular model of uh, my headphones and I'm immediately in a forum of other people who have asked the same question and have been given responses. We can do that internally. Salespeople can learn from each other and um, other people in the organization can participate in the forum. So instead of running to the manager or running to the subject, the same subject matter expert all the time, forums allow you to exchange dialogue with other people on the team to get information provide best practices give examples forums is a yeah. pretty good thing to use yeah, in a playbook definitely it's awesome and it keeps people together yeah collaborating and all kinds and of you good can stuff. bring up uh, topics at the sales meeting it's really cool awesome Awesome. Thank you, Charles. You're very welcome. Is Rebecca. that it? Is that all the tips you That's got? That's all I got. That's <laughs> all I got for today. All right. Well, thank you for being here today, Charles. We'll You're see you welcome. on the next one. And for those listening, I hope that you enjoyed today's session and found it valuable. If you like any of the resources that were mentioned during this episode, like the ebook on sales management and solving the 10 common problems that sales managers experience or time blocking, head trash. There's a couple. I'll throw them into the show notes. And those are available at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 95. 
So thank you so much for listening and be sure to tune in next week. There's going to be an interview with Philip Williams, author of Walk the Talk. And of course, tune in on Friday for an inspiration. And all month we have been writing about sales management on the CFS blog. So if you're interested in learning more about that topic, click on over to the blog at criteriaforsuccess.com slash blog. We are rolling right into November right now. That means a new topic. And all month in the month of November, we're going to be talking about targeting and prospecting. So if that is a challenge that your team is facing right now, be sure to check out the blog, listen into the podcast next month for more on that. If you have sales questions that you'd like answered by our experts, if we have five Mondays in a month, we are doing a Q&A. So please submit any questions that you have at any point to us. You can use social media with the hashtag AskCFS. So on Twitter, you can find us on Twitter. We're on there. CFS Playbook is our handle. Or you could email us at podcast at criteriaforsuccess.com. Throw us those questions and comments. If you want to throw a voice memo in there, that would be awesome. We could play it during the episode. That would be a lot of fun. So please reach out to us with that. And if you're enjoying the show, please subscribe. Please recommend us to a friend. Throw us a review. Give us something. And we would love to give back to you too. So send us your questions. We want to help solve your sales problems. Let's Talk Sales is a production of Criteria for Success and is produced by myself here, Rebecca Toomey, Ariana Miskell, and Elizabeth Frederick. Happy selling, everyone. <laughs>